Brothers be like Jonathan Ain't that funkin' kinda hard on you I said it was hard when I started I'll be hard when I get through Brothers be like Jonathan Ain't that kinda hard on you I said I was hard when I started And I'll be hard when I get through It's your old chuckle buddy Guess who? Jonathan James Ramcharan Reporting live for duty On this magnificent October 19th in the year of our Lord, 2020. Welcome and bienvenue to Jonathan Ramcharan, the podcast. Brothers be like Jonathan, ain't that funkin' kinda hard on you? I said I was hard when I started, and I will be hard when I get through. Just a smidge more rhythm, just a smidge more rhythm and a little bit more trills, and I could be like a fucking usher type, you know, like a Jason Derulo type. I said, brothers, be like Jonathan. Ain't that kind of funkin' hard on you? I said, I was hard when I started. And I'll be hard when I get through. <clears throat> brothers, be like Jonathan. Ain't it kind of funkin' hard on you? I said, I was hard when I started. And I'll be hard when I get through. That P-Funk. That George Clinton funk. Baby. Baby, baby. Anyways, folks, you know how it is. If you're new to the show, Jonathan Ramtran, the podcast. This is a show where I bitch, whine, squawk, cabellic, and kibitz about myself in order to relate to y'all self. Y'all the dear listener. Y'all the dear viewer. Shared experiences, kindred souls, BFFs forever. I have to offer a big thank you. Show my appreciation to the dear viewers, the dear listeners of JR the P. I've seen a little bit of an uptick, you know, a little bit of a spike, as the fucking COVID hustlers would have you also remember. But I've seen a bit of a spike in the viewership on JR the P, Jonathan Ramcher and the podcast on YouTube, specifically um, episode number 139. Yes. Relax and Reflect, episode 139, you know, an uptick in viewership, you know, I want to thank the fans, <laughs> I want to thank my subscribers, you know, i got a couple new subscribers up to 27, you know, tender mercies, tender blessings, so I want to say, I want to thank the fans, I want to thank, uh, you know, uh, God, you know, I invite God to be on the podcast on every episode, you know, a little prayer, never hurts. And, you know, for all I know, I might be getting rickrolled, you know, never gonna give, never gonna give, never gonna give you up, never gonna say goodbye, never gonna tell a lie and hurt you, never gonna give, never gonna give, I've been waiting for so long, I just want to tell you how I'm feeling. Don't be shy. Maybe I've been getting rickrolled here. Never gonna give, never gonna give. Speaking of which, old uh, Rick Astley, he, uh, he recently enough, during pandemic, did a cover of um, Foo Fighters. An acoustic cover of, uh, what was it? Everlong. I think it was Everlong. It was a Foo Fighters song. Rick Asley, you know, so he's still in the game. 
He's still crooning beautifully via London. Is he a Brit? Never gonna give, never gonna give. (laughs) So anyways, folks, thank you very much for your support. You know, some numbers, some views are going up here at JR the P. Shout out to the fans. Shout out to the trolls. Shout out to Rick Astley. And, uh, you know, we're going to keep Rick rolling along here. So if you are new to the show, Jonathan Ramchand, the podcast, I am an actor extraordinaire. 19 years of service, diploma in theater arts. That's been to the bone, ladies and gentlemen, and damn proud of it. Yes. Um, on the previous episode, I had some very interesting, uh, a very interesting situation. I had booked some acting work. Yes. Um, I had booked a little part on a crime reenactment show, a true crime reenactment show. Um, a la, uh, similar to Dateline, Forensic Files, 48 Hours, you know, those, well, actually, 48 Hours and Dateline, they're not, they're more like, I guess, like a docu-series, an investigative journalism show. This, this that I got booked on was more of like a reenactment show, like Forensic Files. They do like a reenactment of, uh, of a murder case. Right? Well, that went down the fucking tubes, you know? Let me tell you about it. So, um, I've been thinking about this because um, we're in a time of pandemic, a lot of change, and this is relatable across industry. I had this opportunity. I was very excited to do the work. I was very excited for some of the benefits. I was going to be able to be on a television set. I was going to be able to network with people. I was going to make, uh, I had the opportunity to make some money at my craft as an actor. So there was a lot I was excited for, but things didn't quite turn out the way they should. They should have. And as I reflect on this, I'm like, well, I don't want to get lost in my imagination. I don't want to get into my head and start making assumptions, saying what was, saying what wasn't, saying how I personally feel or my personal ego. All I'm going to do here is um, say what happened, how I grew from the situation. You know, I I think I handled it with professionalism, with um, poise and class. I grew from it. I learned from it, learned from it. And I just want to talk about that and if it's relatable to others and to try to take the positive message from the situation. So a couple weeks ago, I get booked. Sorry, rather, a couple weeks ago, I audition. You know, a, a thing that a lot of actors do, especially during pandemic, but more so just the trend in this time of the digital age, um, it's probably been, well, you know, it's been going on for a while. A lot of times, even back in the VHS days, you know, like the VHS tapes, something you do as an actor, you can audition via tape, a self-taping. You do a little part, you record it, and 
back in the day, it was like VHS te- tapes, mini DV. You send it in. Well, now in this day and age, you can record it on your phone. You can record it however, and then you can just email it. So a couple weeks back, I did a self-taping, an audition for this project. I didn't hear from them. So it was like, okay, that's just par for the course. Sometimes you're not wanted for a role, a part. You know, you don't have to think so much about it. That's just the way it goes sometimes. Sometimes you just, you don't get booked. There's a million reasons. Maybe you were um, not good enough. Maybe you were perfect, but you just had one slight aesthetic value that wasn't quite in line. Maybe you didn't quite look the part. Maybe your vibe, your essence was like tonally, tonally spot on, but from an aesthetic value, maybe you didn't quite suit the role. There's a million reasons why you don't get a part. So suffice to say, I didn't get the part. I was like, okay, whatever, no big deal, move on. Last Tuesday, I get an email. Hi, Jonathan, it's so-and-so, casting director from this project. Unfortunately, um, we'd like you for a part in this production. Unfortunately, it's not the part you auditioned for, but we still think you would be great for the part. Are you available? Are you interested? I said, yes, I'm interested. I'm available. I take the part. So they book me. Boom. You know, I'm feeling good. I'm like, wow, I got booked. So this was last Tuesday. Last Thursday, last Thursday, two and a half days after they book me, I'm sitting around. I'm like, Where's my script? Where's my contract? They still hadn't they still hadn't contacted me with the script, the sides. They still haven't contacted me with my script and they still hadn't contract contacted me with my contract. Two and a half days later. So um two and a half days later, after being booked, I send them a follow-up email. Very uh, cordial, you know. Through my experience as a performer over 19 years, I realized that heavy ego, heavy arrogance, it doesn't serve anything. You know, there's no point in me. Sorry, folks. (sighs) Keep watching. Keep getting these views up. Keep my views going up. Sooner or later, I'll have my own uh, studio. Till then, I gotta deal with the fucking trash of society. There's always some fucking alarm going off, a fire truck, some crackhead squawking outside my window, you know? But hey, yo, this podcast is, uh, you know, for the people, by the people. Anyways, um, uh, yeah, two and a half days after they booked me, I still don't have a script, I still don't have a contract. And my experience... There's no point in having an ego. There's no point in being arrogant about the matter. When you communicate with people, there's no point in 
trying to have some sort of bravado. Just say your point, make it clear, and be communicative. So that's the tone I took when I sent them the email. I sent them an email. Hey, it's Jonathan, just a little follow-up here. Um, Maybe there's some sort of mix-up. I understand it's kind of a busy time during pandemic. Um, I still haven't received my contract or my script. Actually, I think I said script. I even tried to keep it like, you know, hey, like, yes, of course, it's a business thing, but there's also the artistic and the the love of just creation, creating a project. There's also that angle too. So, you know, I just tried to be amicable. Hey, I don't have the script yet. Like, uh, what's, what's up? Three hours go by. Then I get an email. Hi, Jonathan. I've contacted the coordinator and you should have a contract and script soon. Regards, so-and-so. Okay. Kind of blunt, kind of terse, kind of unapologetic, kind of oblivious. All right, whatever. A few hours go by. I still don't have a contract, don't have a script. Now we are two and a half days beyond when they booked me. It's the end of the business day. I'm due on set in a few hours. So it's the end of the business day. I'm due on set in a few hours. I still don't have a contract. I don't have a script. And they had two and a half days to hit me with this information. So then I send them an email. The casting director. I send him an email. Hi, it's Jonathan. I understand during these times of pandemic, a lot of businesses are struggling to maintain business as usual. Unfortunately, I have not been contacted with a script or a contract, so I cannot be on board this project. I wish the project wellness and safety best, Jonathan. So then, magically, within like two minutes, I get a contract. I get a script via email. To which I respond, thank you for the email. Unfortunately, the situation is the situation. And um, I forwarded uh, the email chain, the email chain where I had requested a contract, I had requested a script. And, you know, just to show the timeline, they had two and a half days in which to get me this information. And for whatever reason, they didn't. Then I get a phone call. I get a phone call and I'll share the message with y'all. I get a phone call and um, it just, it really, it really kind of boggled my mind because it's like why I'm so proud of myself in this situation, just to pat myself on the back. I'm so proud of myself because it's like I was just strictly business to the point. I canceled because Here we are a few hours before I'm due on set. I don't have a contract. I don't have a script. They want me to travel out of town. It's like three hours out of town. The shoot, you know, the shooting location is like three hours out of Toronto. Well, more like 
you know, it's like a two and a half hour trip for me, you know, from Toronto to Hamilton. It's about two hours, you know, so it's like all this travel time distance. I got no contract. I don't know if I'm getting paid or when I'm getting paid. I don't have a script. They just expect me to go do this. I'm not making this decision out of spite or ego. It's just sheer. It's sheer. Um, it's just, it's nothing personal. Strictly business. You know? There's no ego. There's no arrogance. There's, there's just the reality of the situation. Then they hit me with this email. They hit me with this, um, the casting director hits me with this voicemail as if, as if it's anything other than business. Like, it's not personal. I'm not making this decision or playing my cards out of any reason other than business. So check this out. <laughs> you have no new messages and one saved message. To play your messages, press 1. To change your greeting, press 3. To access your personal options, press 4. Saved message, Thursday, 6.34 p.m. Sent by... Hi, Jonathan. This is... Um, I saw your last email. Um, I'm really sorry about the situation. I've spoken to our coordinator. I think he sent out a script and a contract to you. Um, please just give me a call back. I, I, I'm sure you're very settled into this right now, but I would love the opportunity to change your mind. Just give me a call back and, you know, let me talk to you for a sec. All right? Have a good one. Bye. To replay this message, press 1. To pause at any time during message playback, press 2. To fast forward a message, message deleted. You have no more messages. You are at the main menu. Change your greeting, press 3. To access your personal options, press 4. To recover your deleted messages, press 7. To get a blowjob, press 5. So, um, you know, it's hilarious, right? Don't fucking threaten me. See, everyone's on my chops, you know? Fucking casting directors and fucking voicemails. And if, you, if I don't do something, you're going to terminate the, the voicemail. Fuck you. Go ahead. See, like, you know, even fucking voicemails are on, on the chops of a fucking actor. You know, everybody's against you. But you see the point? You know, he wants to talk to me and, oh, they could change my mind and da 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 It's like, why didn't they just treat me with basic civility? Give me the booking information after they booked me, which would be the common sense thing to do, instead of putting me in a position where it's like I'm due on set in a few hours, you know? Like when they did send me the information, it was like 18 pages of script. So it's like I had two and a half days. I would have had two and a half days to go through um, my part. Now it's like the night before um, shooting, I get I get 18 pages of um, script. Like I should be I should be just you know packing my bags, getting ready for the trip the next day, going to bed early. I shouldn't be oh, oh, what you know going over lines all stressed out and everything. You know, it's completely unprofessional. It's like if you were to book like a plumber. Okay, hey, I want you over at my house tomorrow. Will you do it? Okay, to do what? Plumbing. Okay. 
And then like as time nears on, time nears on, the plumber sends you an email. Hey, I know I'm supposed to be at your house tomorrow to do some plumbing. Uh, What's the contract? Like what's the budget and what am I doing? Still no information. You don't respond. It's like, and that's what I learned, like as independent contractor, more or less, you know, that's kind of what I am as an actor. When I put myself out there on the free market, when I apply for work, I'm like an independent contractor. And, um, hey, like my intention was to serve the production. I was very excited for the production. I was aware of the production. I knew what the, pro- the production was, you know, as a television show. Um, but... Unfortunately, they didn't put me in a position where I could I could be of service, you know? Instead of giving me all the information in a timely manner, they 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 wait around to the last minute. And it was at the point where, you know, I was sitting there and I was thinking like, can I manage this? Like is there a way for me to correct this? Is there a way for me to make this situation work? And then I thought about it. I'm like, you know what? I don't want to be there. I don't want to be there. And that's very important. Like when you're in a career, when you're doing work, especially of an independent contract nature, well, of any nature really, you have to be aware of when you don't want to be there. When you don't want to be there, it's time to go. I was like, hey, this whole thing started with me being excited, having the best intentions. Now we're completely um, 180, a complete 180 where it's like, I don't care at all. I don't want to be, I don't want to be a part of this. I'm done. So I had to decline the part. And, you know, I get to thinking like, was it ego? Like, were they playing some sort of ego game with me? You see it in every industry, right? Like there's a hierarchy, a pecking order. You know, like you see it in construction, you know, hard hats. The site supervisor wears a white hard hat, you know. Um, An electrician who is quite a big deal on a construction site, they're like one of the higher level trades. An electrician might wear a blue hard hat or a green hard hat. Then you got the plumbers who wear like a red or a blue hard hat. Then you got the day laborers who wear a yellow hard hat. Then you got the stupid little grunts who, you know what I mean? It's like this pecking order. Or like, uh, you know, maybe in an office, you know, you got the receptionist. Then you got the paralegals. Then you got the law team. And, you know, depending on where you sit in the pecking order is where you get to sit at the lunch table. You know, there's always some sort of ego. Right. So I I started thinking that I'm like, why wouldn't they just give me the script? Why wouldn't they just give me the contract once they booked me? Is it some sort of ego thing? Because as I said, my part was kind of, you know, like I was happy for my part. It would have been a paycheck. It would have been an experience a networking opportunity. But it was pretty low on the totem pole in the grand scheme of the production. So it's like, were they just playing some sort of ego game with me? Oh, we'll wait to the very last minute. But then it's like, I can't be getting lost in my thoughts and my imagination, you know? And that's where I felt I grew. Because in the past, I had been very 
egotistical, arrogant, um, prone to a bruised ego, hurt feelings, making decisions out of emotion, where it's like, today, um, I took the chance of putting myself out there to get work as an actor. I booked a part. I was excited to do it. I went along with them as far as I could. They dropped the ball. And in dropping that ball, um, I wasn't able to have a real interest in the production. It's like you only get one chance to make a good first impression. You know what I mean? You only get one chance to make a good first impression. It's like I noticed something about them too. It's like all their um, all their ads, you know, like I got the job on an online database for actors. There's a paid online database that I subscribe to as an actor that posts paid work. I found them on this database. They were the only company out of the dozens of companies I read up on, on the dozens of ads that I read, even on my own profile. You know, when I uploaded my profile, my resume, my biography, all the little um, details regarding me as an actor, I double-checked, I double-read everything, I made sure that all the spelling, punctuation was on point. This company was the only company that had spelling errors, grammatical errors. You know, their ad just read very clumsy, a lack of detail, attention to detail. And my gut told me that when I read the, when I read the ad for the part. When I saw the job posting, I was like, wow, this is the only company that, you know, has such a poorly worded ad grammatical errors spelling errors i'm like hmm they don't pay they don't pay attention to detail that was a clue to me in my gut but as like you know from a business perspective as an independent contractor i'm like okay well i can't just make the assumption that this company is what this company portrays themselves as like somewhat lacking in attention to detail I mean, I don't know who these people are. This is my first interaction with them. This is a legitimate ad. This is a legitimate production. This is a legitimate situation. Let's give it a shot. Well, um, my gut instinct was right. They, I can't read any further into it other than they had a lack of attention to detail. And to the point in which I didn't feel comfortable that I could add to the production I'd rather not be a part of it. And I wished them well. And I meant it. You know what I mean? Like, there's no feeling. There's no resentment. There's no anger. Like, a slight annoyance, but that just goes with the territory. And I wished them well. And I was actually thinking, I was like, you know what? The cool thing would be if, like, because they obviously have quite a bit of a roster. I'm sure they have people they can call. So the cool thing would have been, like, hey, if they they got in contact with a different actor, got him all the information and everything went smoothly, you know, maybe this other actor who fills the role, maybe they really needed the part. Maybe they're really excited for it. Maybe they really needed the money. You know, it's like, hopefully it all worked out. It just, it just was a situation where 
from my angle, I, I, uh, I could not be on board the project. It just wasn't something I could do. You know, they dropped the ball significantly. And I, I, I didn't want to be a part of it. And, you know, that's relatable across industry, whatever you do. You know, knowing your boundaries, knowing what you will accept and what you won't accept, knowing your trade. You know, it would have been a complete different situation had they, uh, you know, had that been the setup, you know, you get that midnight hour call, Jonathan, we got a roll for you. We're shooting tomorrow morning. Can you make it there? Can you get this memorized? Can you be a part of this? As an independent contractor, you have to have that get up and go, that gumption. Yes, I'll take on the challenge. Yes, I'll take the part. And then you take it. But when somebody has like two and a half days to fill you in with vital information in order for you to do the job and they choose not to or they forget to or whatever the reason, it's like there has been some sort of anxiety created some sort of anxiety created, you know? And now everybody's under the gun to get this information to me. Now I'm under the gun to memorize this information. Now, like, it's... I'm sorry. This is unprofessional. I cannot be on board. So that's relatable to anybody, just knowing those boundaries, knowing what you're working with and what you're willing to do. And, um, you know... Moving forward, uh, I have nothing but, um, I have, uh, I have an honesty because it's really like nothing, you know, it's really no feeling. It's like I acted out of, I acted out of integrity. Everything that happened there, I dealt with, with integrity there's really no feeling. I'm just on to the next challenge. And um, it feels good to have that growth. And uh, I just want to keep growing with it. Hallelujah. So there you have it, folks. Jonathan Ramcharan, actor extraordinaire. <laughs> ah, it's hot. Ah, it's hot. You know? Pardon me. Sip of water. Water break, balls. Don't mind me, balls. I am also a stand-up comedian extraordinaire. 11 plus years of service. Yeah, I've been hitting them stages. 11 plus years, boy. Pandemic 2020. Really threw a monkey in the wrench, you know? A little monkey wrench situation going on. Yo, like people are just... <clears throat> the industry is at a standstill, more or less. Live performance, it's at a standstill, more or less. I got thinking about that, and, um, you know, I'm at this place where it's like, I got a lot of experience, I got a lot to learn as a comic, and I'm looking for my way forward. And what comes to mind now is the amateur world. The world of amateur stand-up comedy. I've been thinking about that because I've been recently watching these amateur 
boxing leagues. These amateur boxing leagues online. Amateur MMA. I've been watching them on YouTube and <laughs> they're pretty ridiculous. And it's like, wow, like these fighters just, they go into these these rings in the backwoods of nowhere, you know, like some little ring that somebody made, you know, just like they set up some caging, you know, like uh, not too hard, you know, you get some cage, whatever, cage, what do, you, what do you call it, like a fence, caged wire, they make a fence cage, they put some plywood along the, along the rim of the cage, they go in there, and they just duke it out, MMA fighting, different styles, boxing, you know, grappling, wrestling, Muay Thai, kicking the shit out of each other, and I'm thinking to myself, wow, like, is that the process of an amateur fighter, and I'm thinking, like, what are these people what are these people doing? Just like kicking the shit out of each other on YouTube? Like what, where does this progress to? They're just fighting these amateur fights, putting their health and their body at risk on these amateur fights on YouTube. Does it lead to a career? And then I started reading about the league and I'm not going to name the league, but uh, you know, it's, it's like this amateur fighting league that's designed for people with petty grievances like, two people could be really beefing. And the whole point of it is, like, in these urban areas, instead of picking up a gun or a knife and, you know, taking a lethal approach to a fight, this whole boxing mixed martial art league is formed in order to help these people settle it in a in a more one-on-one approach and through that there's a strange thing in fighting where it's like a a lot of fighters have a certain respect for one another once they kind of throw down mono e mono you know what i mean but there's also like different divisions of the league where it's like amateur fighters who are trying to rise to like you know ufc prize fighting like, they are trying to build a career rather than just duke it out with some punk in, like, you know, a ring somewhere. I'm thinking, wow, what a crazy come up. You know what I mean? And, like, the parallel between that and stand-up comedy amateur comedy nights, you know, like you're duking it out with the crowd. It's obviously a completely different thing. There's just some, I guess, metaphorical parallels you know, but fighting and stand-up comedy are quite different. But there are some, I guess, like metaphors and parallels that you can derive, but they are different. I don't want to, obviously, you know. And, but, you know, I saw, that, like, you know, some of the fighters were getting heckled. Oh, my God, some of the heckles, right? There was this one woman, right? Some people were commenting on her. She was just, like, screaming, you know, she was screaming at the f- fighters, you know. She was like, ground and pound, ground and pound, ground and pound. It's like, holy fuck, somebody bring their grandmother, somebody bring a parrot to the fight? Holy Murphy. Ground and pound, ground and pound, ground and pound. It's like, would you shut up? Couldn't imagine getting heckled once I'm getting my fucking face beat in, you know. 
bad enough somebody wants to fucking talk at you when you're just trying to crack a couple of lousy jokes, but imagine trying to throw a flying knee into somebody's jugular and then getting somebody ground and pound, ground and pound, just screaming stupid shit at you. <laughs> the fucking pièce de résistance, the coup d'état. Oh my god. So as I mentioned, this league is like a amateur fighter, but it's also like civilian. Like like people anybody's anybody is is welcome. Like let's say you got a beef with somebody in your neighborhood and you want to bring it to this league, you can go f- you can go box them in this league, right? So like I guess there was a fight and they also have like, you know, a women's division, a, wi- a women's league as well. So there's these two women, like two middle-aged women. And um, I guess, you know, they had some sort of beef. So they're squaring up to fight, right? You know, she's like, I don't give a fuck. Let's do this. And they get in there and um, they're squaring up and they're fighting. Then all of a sudden out of the corner of the ring, you hear, get her, mommy. (laughs) Get her, mommy. (laughs) One of the comments was like, best uh, corner advice ever. Get her, mommy. It's like, wow, you brought your child to your fucking cage match? <laughs> Get her, mommy. But, um, you know, it was really eye-opening uh, just to see what it takes as an amateur across industry. You know, everybody has a starting place, right? So if you're if you're a fighter... You know, I guess that crazy come up time when it's like you're just taking fights for experience, you're risking your ass to learn the trade, right? Or like I guess even as like a chef, I'm sure you go through countless degrading work situations where you're just the stupid kitchen bitch and you're chopping onions and taking out garbage and washing dishes on the come up in order to become like a you know, uh, a sous chef or whatever, right? You know, um, you know, a, a master chef. Or like, you know, I guess all the training of an academic, you know, like uh, the studying, the hours, fucking nose first in a book, you know, cramming knowledge up your fucking wazoo, you know? So you can have that depth of knowledge in order to, I don't know, perhaps become a professor, to become some sort of, Efficient, aficionado in the chosen discipline, the chosen field. Tradespeople, you know, carpenters, electricians. Um, to learn a trade, to work with your hands, all that apprenticeship time. You know, apprenticeship uh, tattoo artists. So you get the point, right? So as a stand-up comedian extraordinaire... Um, I've done a lot of apprenticeship work. I've done a lot of amateur work, you know? I'm technically like a semi-professional comedian, semi-pro, you know? Technically. And um, I got a lot of experience, but I got a long ways to go. And I can talk in depth about the realities of the amateur performer. I've played hundreds of amateur gigs, you know? And 
that is something I can speak on in depth, you know, and um, which I have done on the podcast so far. And moving forward, um, I know post-pandemic, the world of comedy has changed a lot. So I'm going to grow with that. And that's relatable to anybody in any industry. And um, it's going to take a lot out of me because um, if I want to continue on with stand-up comedy, I have to change with the times. And And the times have changed. Hallelujah. So there you have it, folks. Janet Ramcharan, stand-up comedian extraordinaire. <laughs> and I'm also Batman. I am Batman. What's going on with my voice here? <clears throat> I'm the caped crusader. Harvey Dent was the ray of sunshine that Gotham never knew existed. The Joker. Your time's up. I'm coming for you. Are you trashing my lights? What don't you fucking understand? No, no, fuck no. What don't you fucking understand? Are you you trashing my lights? Are you trashing my lights? What the fuck? A little throwback to Christian Bale as Batman, you know. He had like a meltdown on set and was screaming. This was like 2007, 2008. Somebody made like a little... um, (laughs) One of those YouTube remix videos, you know? Are you trashing my lights? Are you trashing my fucking lights? Anyways, folks, let's get to the news. We're going to talk news for the rest of the episode. Um, France. Yeah, some very hard times in France at the moment. Check this out. This is from globalnews.ca. Sorry, no, this is from cbcnews.ca. Chechen teen killed by police named as suspect in teacher's beheading in France. Nine arrested, including teen's family members, as police conduct, conduct murder probe. A suspect shot dead by police after the beheading of a history teacher near Paris was an 18-year-old Chechenian refugee, unknown to intelligence services, who posted a grisly claim of responsibility on social media minutes after the attack, officials said Saturday. France's anti-terrorism prosecutor's office said authorities investigating the killing of Samuel Paddy in Conflans saint Honorine on Friday, arrested nine suspects, including the teen's grandfather, parents, and 17-year-old brother. Patty, who was 47, had discussed caricatures, caricatures, had discussed caricatures of Prophet Muhammad with the class, leading to threats, police officials said. Islam prohibits images of the Prophet, asserting that they lead to idol, idolatry, 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 I-D-O-L-A-T-R-Y, idolatry. The officials could not be named because they are not authorized to discuss ongoing investigations. Muslims believe that they have, that any depiction of the Prophet is a disrespectful or even 
blasphemous. French anti-terrorism prosecutor Jean-Francois Ricard said an investigation for murder with a suspected terrorist motive has been opened. Ricard also reports that the Moscow-born suspect, who had been granted a 10-year residency in France as a refugee in March, was armed with a knife and an airsoft gun, which fires plastic pellets. He was armed with a knife and an airsoft gun, which fires plastic pellets. The teenager had approached pupils in the street and asked them to point out his victim. The prosecutor said a text claiming responsibility and a photograph of the victim were found on the suspect's phone. He had also confirmed that a Twitter account under the name Abdulaka A belonged to the suspect. It posted a photo of the de- decapitated head. Grizzly. It posted a photo of the decapitated head minutes after the attack, along with the message, I have executed one of the dogs from hell who dared to put Muhammad down. It's absolute insanity. Headmaster received threatening phone calls. Now, they refer to the the teacher's headmaster, the principal of the school. I mean, you think during a decapitation... Uh, case, they would refrain from calling the principal the headmaster of the decapitation case. A little insensitive for crying out loud anyway. In their words, the headmaster received threatening phone calls. The post was removed swiftly by Twitter, which said it had suspended the account because it violated the company's policy. Ricard said the suspect had been seen at the school asking students about the teacher and the headmaster had received several threatening phone calls. The suspect's half-sister joined the Islamic State group in Syria in 2014, Ricard said. He didn't give her name and it's not clear where she is now. The attacker of the Chechnyan origin, the attacker of Chechnyan origin, had been living in the town of Ivru, northwest of Paris, and was not previously known to the intelligence services, Ricard told a news conference. Mourners marched near the school in solidarity on Saturday, holding signs that read, I am a teacher. We'll pick ourselves up together, thanks to our spirit of solidarity, said Laurent Brossi, mayor of Conflans saint Honorine. I'm sorry, these are French words that are a French... Yeah, French words that, you know... I, I, as an English speaker, speaker, have a hard time uh, pronouncing. So, we'll pick ourselves up together thanks to our spirit of solidarity, said Laurent Brossi, mayor of Conflans St. Honorine. Parents of students laid flowers at the school gate. Some said their children were distraught. My daughter is in pieces, terrorized by the violence of such an act. How will I explain to her the unthinkable? One father wrote on Twitter. A police officer said the suspect was shot dead about 600 meters from where Patty died. Police opened fire after he failed to respond to orders to put, to put down weapons and acted in a threatening manner. The official could not be named because of the ongoing investigations. I'll pause for a moment due to... Oh, what a world. Isn't the world so loud? I guarantee you... Well, I can't guarantee, but... If you heard that 
ambulance that was just going by, it's probably completely pointless. We just live in a world of chaos and noise and stupidity and beheadings. You know, some religious fanatic would take it upon themselves to behead somebody in the name of their religion. It's just such a noisy, pointless world at times. Anyways, I continue. French President Emmanuel Macron went to school on Friday night to denounce what he called an Islamist terrorist attack. He urged the nation to stand united against extremism. One of our compatriots was murdered today because he taught the freedom of expression, the freedom to believe or not believe, Macron said. The presidential Elysee Palace, again, I'm sorry for the pronunciation, the presidential Elysee Palace announced that there will be a national ceremony at a future date to honor Patty. Canada's Foreign Affairs Minister, Francois-Philippe Philippe Francois-Philippe Champagne also condemned the attack on Twitter Saturday. In a video posted recently on Twitter, a man describing himself as the father of a student asserted that Patty had shown an image of a naked man and told students it was the prophet of the Muslims. Before showing the images, the teacher asked Muslim children to raise their hands and leave the room because he planned to show something shocking, the man said. What was the message he wanted to send these children? What is this hate? The man asked. The AP has not been able to independent the AP has not been able to independently confirm these claims. Chechnya is a predominantly Muslim Russian republic in the North Caucasus. Two wars in the 1990s triggered a wave of immigration with many Chechnyans heading to Western Europe. France has offered asylum to many Chechnyans since the Russian military waged war against Islamist separatists in Chechnya in the 1990s and early 2000s. Chechnya's strongman regional leader, Ramzan Kedorov, who has used massive federal subsidies to rebuild the province and squelched any resistance with feared security forces, condemned the teacher's killing but also warned against insulting the feelings of Muslims. We condemn the act of terror and offer our condolences to the relatives of the man who killed, who was killed, Kedorov said on his blog. While speaking out categorically against any manifestation of terrorism, I also urge not to provoke believers, not to offend their religious feelings. Let me pause for a second. That's the crux of this whole situation. Terrorism, anybody with a common sense mind will argue, is evil, wrong, and 100% uncalled for. Violent terrorism, it is never the answer. It is only something a ridiculous, delusional person would do in the name of anything. Then to the counterpoint, as the Chechnyan president or the Chechnyan leader tweeted. 
and I paraphrase here, don't provoke Muslim feelings, a.k.a. don't provoke feelings. That's my paraphrase. It's like, yeah, we, don't, we are not to provoke the Muslim feelings or we are not to provoke feelings in general in society. How dangerous, how slippery of a slope. What about freedom of expe- expression? That's like one of the major cornerstones of like Western civilization. The freedom of expression, the freedom to assembly, the freedom to religion, freedom, democracy, the individual. Don't mock, don't provoke. What, don't provoke someone with what? My own personal thoughts and opinion? It's very dangerous stuff. Let me continue. Um, he went on to criticize French society. This is the, uh, this is Ramzan Kidorov, uh, I guess the leader of Chechnya. Ramzan Kidaryov. He goes on to criticize French society for what he described as manifestations of provocative, disrespective, disrespect for Islamic values. When France has a proper state institution of inter-ethnic and interfaith relations, then the country will have a healthy society. Fuck you, you crazy person. You know, like... What? You have to denounce evil when you hear and see evil. It's evil to kill somebody, no matter the, the circumstances. It's evil to behead somebody, regardless of the provocation. The only acceptable provocation to violence is um, violence. It would have been acceptable provocation for the slain teacher to decapitate the student. That would have been like, well, now I'm just getting a little bit hyperbolic here, but basically there's never, in my opinion, there is no provocation that could lead you to murder aside from imminent threat of of danger. The imminent threat to my life is provocation for me to act. Aside from that, you cannot provoke me to violence. It's crazy. But anyway, I'll continue here. Um, France has seen occasional violence involving its Chechnyan community in recent months, believed linked to social, local criminal activity and, and score settling. Um... This is the second time in three weeks that terror has struck France, linked to caricatures of the Prophet Muhammad. Last month, a young man from Pakistan was arrested after attacking two people with a meat cleaver outside the former offices of the satirical magazine Charlie Hibdu. The weekly was the target of a deadly newsroom attack in 2015 after it published cartoons about the Prophet Muhammad. It republished the same caricatures last month to underscore 
the right to freedom of information as a trial opened linked to that attack. That attack, I believe 12 people died. Um, not sure. Let me take, not, um, yeah. Friday's terror attack came as Macron's government worked on a bill to address Islamic radicals who authorities claim are creating a parallel society outside the values of the French Republic. Um, how many people were slain in Charlie Hebdo? Yes. Um, February 6th to... Uh, yes, yeah, so... You know, a terrorist killed 12 people in a terror attack at the offices of the French satirical publication Charlie Hebdo, 2015. So yes, this teacher was decapitated by a Chechnyan Islamic terrorist. I'll just say this quickly and briefly. Um, to any extremist out there or a deeply religious person, I guess it's sometimes hard to see that difference for people, but I hope we can all eventually agree that violence is never the answer. And there is no provocation that can or should lead to violence. It's just wrong. It's ungodly to take a human life. It's barbaric. And across religion, that should be common sense. And if you are of a group that has these deep values and can be easily excited by provocation, I don't know if you're watching my video, I just ask that you be the bigger person. Because we live in a world of ego, you know, and people generally are cynical, motivated by self-interest. And while it is mean-spirited and egotistical to criticize somebody else's religion, it is 100% morally bankrupt, wrong, evil. To kill in the name of that. To murder in the name of that. So, this is just common sense. I would ask that people with these deep values that take this so literally to heart, let them be the bigger person and see that violence is not the answer. And, you know... As many Muslims, people of the Islamic faith, a lot of these people that are good and kind and everyday people, I hope they have a duty to stand up and denounce this type of violence in the name of their religion. These are very evil actions that should not be tolerated. And I hope that the good everyday people 
of Islam stand and denounce this type of behavior. It's barbaric. It's godless. It is 100% godless to behead somebody. How, do you, how can you behead somebody and think God is with you? Please, if you are being provoked in your religion, please be the bigger person. Take that trial and tribulation of injustice. It's not, it's not who wants to be provoked, who wants to be humiliated. But don't let it turn into something that is completely godless. It is the wrong thing to do. It is wrong. Anyways, that's my two cents. Uh, moving on here. Speaking of wrong. Um, this is from CP24.com. 26-year-old man accused of throwing woman to the ground and punching two men and assaulting others at Young and Dundas. Police have charged a 26-year-old man after he allegedly threw a woman to the ground, punched two men, and assaulted numerous others in downtown Toronto Sunday morning. The incident happened near Young Street and Dundas West around 9.15 a.m. That's like a 20-minute walk from my house. I live in the downtown core. There is nothing but violence and stupidity and aggression. I mean, it's unfortunate. It's obviously not as rampant as other places in the world, but just walk in the streets of downtown Toronto, man. You have a good chance of bumping into somebody who's aggressive and having some sort of mental episode and wants to attack you and uh, uh, walk up on you acting stupid. I mean, if you see a picture of this guy, it's complete garbage. Um, police said a man was walking into the intersection when he allegedly struck the hood of a vehicle. He then walked east on Dundas Street, grabbed a woman, and threw her to the ground, police allege. The man also allegedly punched a male pedestrian and a male cyclist in the face. You know, what a gentleman. Police believe the two... The police believe he also assaulted other people who attempted to intervene. The man identified as Diamond Ekanem. <laughs> little rough diamond there. Diamond Ekanem of Toronto was arrested and charged with causing a disturbance by fighting, shouting, swearing, assaulting, and failing to comply with probation. Apparently he was on probation. He is scheduled to appear in court today, Monday. Police are appealing for victims and witnesses to come forward and contact them. Um, that's what I'm assuming from reading the article. is a case of um, someone in, a, in an agitated state acting out. Apparently, he just um, went on a spree, hitting the hood of a car, walking up to strangers, attacking them. And my advice to anybody during this time of pandemic when tensions are high, a lot of people are unstable mentally, you know, they may have some sort of mental disorder, they may have some sort of drug and alcohol problem. My advice to the level-headed people of society is put your ego aside, 
Keep your eyes open and don't engage with aggression. Don't engage with ill logic. Sometimes a person, you know, I live in Toronto, Canada. Sometimes a person will just, that's how they are. These people that, you know, whatever, there's something going on in their life and they come up to you illogically. They'll make a a, a, a brash movement towards you or they'll stumble up to you or they'll say something or they'll try to rope you into some stupid conversation. Hey, hey buddy, do you have the time? Do I have the time? Are you asking for me? You know what I mean? Like, you know what time it is? It's like, there's LCD screens everywhere. We live in a digital age. Somebody asking you what time it is, you know, it's just, that's one clue. Just peacefully avoid. Oh, sorry, sir, I don't. And walk off or whatever, right? Don't engage. And, um, you know, also don't make a stink about it. Don't try to correct them. Don't try to get into why they do what they do. Just think about the smartest, peaceful, the most peaceful, logical way to get away from this situation. Don't don't engage with these people. I mean, I I... I obviously didn't see this situation, this 26-year-old, 26-year-old man, Diamond Ikeem of uh, Toronto. I didn't see the situation, but reading it to you guys, I can see it. I know exactly where the place is, where it happened, and I've seen these type of situations happen. And a lot of times what happens is people try to put logic to an illogical situation. They'll see a person who's obviously out there. Like, obviously, I don't know what happened. I wasn't there. But from my experience, I've seen situations and I've been involved in situations where somebody's like illogical and they're just, they'll walk up and, oh, hey, whatever, right? what do you want, buddy? Oh, and they'll start babbling and then they'll, they'll instigate. And what the person does a lot of the times, the victim, what they'll do is they'll try to add logic to it, like, let me correct you. Why are you doing this to me? Let me correct you. What's going on? Who are you to do this? When people come at you illogically, just get out of there. Take it what it is. This is a violent, illogical person. I want nothing of it. Get away. Don't try to correct them. Don't try to, you know, just make a peaceful retreat. And if you're called upon to... Hey, sometimes if you're attacked, you got to fight back, obviously. Do what you have to do. But don't engage. Don't try to patronize. Don't try to bring logic to an illogical situation. Uh, check out my episode. Uh, I put a little clip up recently. Um, I have a little snippet. You can get it out on my channel, Jonathan Ramcharan, the podcast, on YouTube. Or on iTunes, Spotify, my own website, jonathan-ramcharan.com. I put a little snippet. It's a little clip of a video that I did. Don't be a loser post-pandemic. It's a little clip in where I discuss uh, somebody doing the exact same thing to me. Just somebody walking up on me, being aggressive, being illogical. And um, I called the man's bluff in my story. I kind of stood my ground because of my ego. In the moment, I stood my ground and He kind of backed off, but I was really rolling the dice because some people are just illogical and violent and you don't want to push them. So check out that clip and keep that in mind. 
during this time of pandemic. You know, it's better to be safe. And before I get out of here, I want to talk to you guys about cats. You know, cats, pussy. I want to talk to you guys about cats for a moment here. There's been an epic discovery in the world of, um, anthropologically. Um, there's been a world, there's been a discovery in the world of, um, what do you call it? Archaeology. You know, that old fucking, you know, Indiana Jones, right? There's been a discovery in the world of anthropologically. And what is that fucking dummy? An architect? What is he? An archangel? Anthropologist? An architect? Oh, hell, I don't know. Anyway, something like, you know, newsworthy. Um, this is an article from ctvnews.ca. Massive ancient drawing of cat discovered on hill in Peru. Yeah, giant pussy found on Peru. Toronto. Well, well this is written in Toronto. Um, this article was written in Toronto. Anyways, here we go. An enormous drawing of a cat etched into the hill of a thousands of years old I read this article once before. I thought it was kind of trash the way it was written. Now it's giving me grief again. You know, let me try to fucking stomach it. Let me try to work through it here. These fucking bozos. These dummies. You got one stupid little job to do. You got to report on some hieroglyphic that some dummy fucking sketched out on a fucking Peruvian hillside. You think you could easily just convey that message to people? No, you got to be smart and whimsical and write your little stupid article and make it all fucking tongue twister like. You know, it's a fucking mouthful. Anyways, I digress. Here, let me give, let me give another kick at the cat here. <sighs> let me try this again. An enormous drawing of a cat etched into the side of a hill thousands of years ago has been uncovered in Peru, adding another image to the country's catalog of mystifying glyphics, geoglyphs. Adding another image to the country's catalog of mystifying geoglyphs. Peru is home to the Nazca Lines, a series of drawings scratched into the surface of an arid coastal plain between 500 BCE and 500 CE. They keep on changing things. I don't even know what that means. What does BCE mean or CE? I thought it was AD and or BC and AD. Now they're trying to get cute here. Um, scratched into the surface of the arid coastal plain between 500 BCE and 500 CE, wherever the hell that was, which are one such, which are on such a massive scale, damn fucking, on such a massive scale that one can only see the full pictures with an aerial view. The geometric drawings depict animals, plants, and more fantastical images and were declared a UNESCO World Heritage Site in 1994. 
The new geoglyph was discovered during a remodeling of the natural viewpoint, which visitors usually climb in order to be able to see some of the geoglyphs from a high enough vantage point. The hill itself is home to a massive drawing of a feline figure, 37 meters long, according to a press release this week from Peru's Ministry of Culture. Yeah, those fucking whacked out Peruvians were on peyote. Fucking sketching geoglyphs into the side of a hill, strung out on fucking ayahuasca. You know, drawing pictures of cats and fucking fantastical images. You know, these guys were high as tits. Or, or was it aliens? Buenos dias, Earth. Anyway, here, let me go here. Uh, the hill itself is home to a massive drawing of a feline figure, 37 meters long, according to the press release this week from Peru's Ministry of Culture. The figure was barely visible and was about to disappear due to its location on a fairly steep slope and the effects of natural erosion, the release stated. The cat, which is depicted in a looser, rounder style than some of the more geometric drawings that make up the Nazca lines, is seen horizontally with a straight tail and three round shapes making up its its facial... is seen horizontally with a straight tail and three round shapes making up its facial features. Officials theorize that the drawing actually predates the more famous geoglyphs is instead from the late Paracas period, which refers to pre-Columbian Andean society that occupied what is known as the Ica region of Peru, 800 BCE and 100 BCE. See, this is why sometimes you can't believe shit you read in the paper. They talk as if any of us know what the fuck any of this means. I mean, it's an interesting story, but for crying out loud, do I look like a fucking archaeologist to you? Do I look like fucking Indiana Jones, you dummy? Do you think I'm going to outrun a fucking rolling boulder? Like, look at this dumbass shit. Do I have a whip on my hip? Look at this shit. I'm talking fucking artifacts and textiles from the Paracas Society frequently have images of felines on them according to the release. You know, the region of Peru between 800 BCE and 100 BCE, the late Paracas period. Oh, hell, I don't know. None of this makes any damn sense to me. It could be aliens, could be a bunch of fucking kids, bunch of Peruvian teenagers out for a fucking, out for blood, high on ayahuasca, you know, graffiti and, you know, all, all the shit the kids do these days. You don't know if this shit is from anything. Could be aliens, could be teenagers. But yet it's from the Paracas period of 800 BCE to 100 BCE. I don't know. Artifacts and textiles from the Paracas society frequently have images of felines on them, according to the release. Yeah, according to what stupid information these idiots say. Even in times of pandemic, personnel from the Ministry of Culture have been contributing to research Conservation and tourism, development in the region, particularly in the Nazca province, the release stated. And I'll try to post a picture. It's pretty interesting, you know, it's a, I guess like, like the article tried to communicate, but I'm too dumb to really understand. Like, uh, a long, long time ago, a real long time ago, uh, these Peruvian people, uh, etched this geoglyph. And, you know, it's a cat. You know, it's a... I guess it's pretty, it looks like some kind of a calico. Like a short hair. 
or maybe like a calico or a, not like a Persian or like a, what is there, calicos. And then there's um, like short hair, long hair, kind of cute, you know, he's got this little peekaboo look on his face, you know, bug eyed, like as much detail as you can if you're going to sketch it on the side of a cliff. But, uh, you know, hey, that's Peru for you. So, folks, you know, there are things going on in the world during this time. Ancient artifacts, geoglyphs, the wonders of time, the Peruvian artifacts, you know. There is, you know, religious unrest, you know, this horrific beheading in France. Um, violence in, in metropolises, in big cities, just basic aggression, street violence. There's a lot to take into account. But during this time, um, if we stay true to our core values and keep a head up and our eyes open and try to be aware of our fellow man, our fellow woman, our fellow human, and you know, make it through this thing together, we're going to come out the side even better. And um, as I mentioned, some of the things that were going on with my career, I hope that's relatable to everybody. And, you know, got to keep your head up. Hallelujah. It's your old chuckle buddy. Guess who? Janet and James Ram Turan. Reporting live for duty on this magnificent October 19th in the year of our Lord, 2020. Peruvian geoglyphs, you know? Artifacts. France. Islamic terrorism, beheadings, horror, you know, we have to work together, folks. Hit me up, jr.thepodcast at gmail.com. You have any questions, you have any queries, you have any qualms, I'm available on iTunes, YouTube, Spotify, my own website, jonathan-ramcharan.com. And if you're enjoying the show thus far, please help my black ass out for crying out loud. Share me with a friend. Till next time, folks. You live it. You love it. You realize it. All right? Peace.